Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is happening, gang? We have got a super fun show for you today on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pulling. In today's episode, we get Bill's breakdown of the divisional round matchups, get some of Bill's insights into some of the more controversial plays, interesting moments from some of the big games. We do a big dive into the Sorensen hit on Higgins and the uh, Chiefs-Browns game. I learned a lot about kind of that rule, targeting, helmet-to-helmet contact, the sort of where it came from. I think it's you're really, really going to enjoy the breakdown of that. And then in the second half of the episode, we do our championship game preview, and I think you're going to get all the insight you need to be fully prepared for what's going to happen on Sunday when we decide who will be in the Super Bowl. So sit back, relax, and get ready. This is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Pulling, and this is our look at the divisional round and then our preview of the championship round game. My lamp is lit. My lamp is lit. My lamp is lit, and the clock is running. Hey, look at that, gang. So we got three lit lamps, and we are still jacked from a fantastic divisional round in the NFL playoffs. I'm sure we're going to hear Bill's breakdown of it here momentarily, but I got to say from a fan's perspective, it was a lot of fun of TV watching over the weekend. So in today's episode, much like we did last week, this week we're going to spend the first half of the show kind of reviewing what came out of the divisional round and then we're going to get Bill's much anticipated breakdown of the championship game so without much further ado let's dive into it today well uh let's start with uh <clears throat> the game that was uh, probably uh went the way we expected it would go which was Green Bay and the Rams the uh, the Rams gave up four sacks uh, they were 21 for 27. Uh, the QBR was 84.4, um, and, and that wasn't bad. You know, golf got a lot of criticism, but actually it wasn't bad. Uh, but they only rushed for 96 yards. It was, you know, it was a 5-0 average, but that's not enough. We said last week in the in the run up to the game, the Rams had to run to win, and and they didn't. And and then. Conversely, uh, the Packers uh, ran for 188 yards. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Jones Mm -hmm. was 14 for 99. Williams was 12 for 65. Dillon was 6 for 27. Now, granted, the Rams' defense was banged up, and Aaron Donald essentially only played half the game. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that they, the, the Packers did a number on them, and, uh, and and that doesn't bode well for anybody the Packers play. Uh, <laughs> additionally, the Pack threw the ball 23 for 36, 92.1. Uh, 
uh, QBR, two touchdowns, uh, uh, yard per play of 8.2. Unbelievable. Uh, yards per play for the Rams, not bad, 4.8. But, you know, when, you, when, you're, when, you're, when you're down like that, uh, giveaway takeaway was zero. But when you give up four sacks, it's really hard to win to win a football game. So um, this one was was over by the the third quarter, and uh, and Green Bay got a chance to rest some people, and and uh, and and thing went uh, pretty much the way you would expect. Mm-hmm. The hey Bill, real quick, yes. were there things that you you saw at least in that game? Because I know this has been a theme for us on the show almost all year in terms of sort of white knuckling with the Packers at week six and week 12 with the run defense. Are there things that you're seeing in the last six weeks and then in this playoff game that would lead you to believe the run defense is getting better or at least better enough to a point where they could keep keep going past this weekend? It's the latter. It's better enough to the point where it gives them a chance this weekend and they're going to get – they're really going to get – they're really going to get a test. So <laughs> – uh, let's let's turn to their opponents. Let's go to that game, Tampa Bay. Um, if you read the headlines in the in the papers on uh, on Monday morning, it was Tom Brady takes the uh, Bucks to the championship game for the first time. The headline should have read: Bucks defense and running game takes Tom Brady to the championship game because that's the way the game was played. Uh, the the running game for Tampa Bay was dominant, absolutely dominant. They took it and ran it right down New Orleans' throat, which was really interesting. 35 rushes, 127 yards, 3.6 a carry, but those 35 rushes were were that's more than enough to put the Saints away. The Saints didn't run badly, 25 for 104, a 4.2 average, but they they couldn't they could not stop the Bucks running game, and uh, the Bucks were eight for seventeen on third down. Uh, they were four point six yards per play. Saints four point nine. They were six for eleven on third down. Passing, and this is why I say uh, you know it wasn't a scintillating day for Brady. It was eighteen for thirty three uh, mm-hmm. for one eighty nine. Uh, the uh, and, and yards per pass attempt, 5.6. I mean, that's not very much. But the Saints were 20 for 35 for 190, 5.4. And, uh, and, and of course, the, 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 the four takeaways, they were the, the Saints were minus four. So that's the end of that. But the story <laughs> as regards the upcoming game is the fact that the Bucks ran the ball so right, well. Right. Fournette, yeah. 17 for 63. Uh, Jones, 13 for 62. Bill, a couple comments. So, you know, it's interesting, and I, I, I had a sort of just eyeball thing, and I was, you know, because I, I kind of, as I was looking at watching Packers games over the season, I was not very impressed by, you know, Fortnite's productivity, either as, as a runner or as a, a receiver. But he's sure, so what is it? The people around him is—is it is he's getting it? Why is he so being playing so much better, or at least becoming so much more productive uh, in the playoffs than he was during the regular season? As my close friend Mike Murphy, uh, who was a linebacker coach with teams I was with for close to 25 years, uh, said, 
he recognizes that this is the Dash Krakash. He's no longer playing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> right, right, right. Where it doesn't mean anything, and he doesn't want to come to work in the morning, and he's uh, uh, and he's out of sorts, and so on and so forth. He's he's now in a pennant race, and he realizes he's on the big stage, and 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 he's showing you what he can do. Now yeah, I don't know that that bodes well for the long term with it for him, but right, that's what he's right. doing now. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about was in, in terms of sort of the sad. Uh, ending for Breeze. And what what did you see in the three picks? Was it was it any is it physical inability? Was it too much pressure? Was it he could misreads? What happened there? Um, the one that was picked off by White, he just didn't see him. Uh, but that's not like Drew. Uh, the other one. Looked like it was a miscommunication between the receiver and he. He threw the ball to one spot, the receiver went to the other. And then the other one on the sideline uh, was a throw with not enough mustard on it. And up until Sunday, I thought that, you know, Drew had the normal arm strength uh, issues that every 40 year old quarterback has. But it was clear on Sunday that the injury um, had robbed mm-hmm. him of, of some arm strength. He didn't have a lot of zip in his arm. And the proof of that was that they brought Winston in to run the trick play because they were pretty sure that Drew couldn't get it all the way down the field. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the fight, the clinching interception really was one that, that went down the sideline. Oh, that was the second one that went down the sideline for the touchdown. Yeah. Was, was just a you know a ball with not enough zip on it. Hey, Bill, with you know, oh sorry, yes, sure, go ahead, go ahead. Well, the one thing well, I was well, going to say related to some of the interceptions would be, and this is totally obviously from a fan perspective. There are some things. I mean, obviously, you look at the Bucks and you go, hey, two-year window, obviously to be a championship team. But there's some young players in their secondary that you know, from Murphy Bunting to Winfield Jr. that you kind of look at, and even you know what Devin White can do inside you kind of go this could be fun on the back seven for a for a little while oh yeah uh winfield and and uh and devin white are big time game changing players um and and those are guys that they really have never had before mm-hmm. they're, they're they're tremendous they're really great players so that puts a whole new cast on the defense uh no pun intended yeah, I think <laughs> but it, it does <laughs> Yeah, I think we um, had 10, uh, 10 solo tackles, or 11 tackles and 10 yeah, were solo. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's go to the uh, to the Chiefs and Cleveland. This was a really interesting game. Um, the Chiefs were sort of motoring along pretty well. Uh, the game was in control. Their defense appeared to me to be on cruise control. And Patrick was doing his thing. Uh, they ended up five for 10 on third down, two for two on fourth down. Yards per play, 7.0. That's that's their deal, right? That's what they do. Um, 27 of 38. Yards per pass attempt, 8.1. That's what they do. One interception, one sack. Um, uh, yards per rush, both were 5.1, which is interesting. Um, 
the, 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 the Chiefs had seven penalties for 55 yards, which again leads me to believe they lost a, a little focus. And, and on the giveaway takeaway, they were plus one. But once Patrick went down, it was as though Spags said to the defense, hey, guys, buckle your trin strap. The big man's not coming back. And they put it in high gear. They were a different defense in the fourth quarter. Um, Cleveland did a nice job of doing what they do, which is running the ball. Uh, and and they did a nice job of, of doing what they do in terms of the short passing game. Uh, yards per pass attempt was 5.2. That's, that's what they do. Um, so I thought that they, they, you know, they gave it their best shot and played to their strengths, which is, um, which is a credit to their coaching staff and, and coach Stefanski. Um, but in the end, the, uh, the, the, the chief defense clamped down. And, uh, even though they did get the touchdown, it was a long excruciating drive, um, where they were eking out yardage, which is a credit to the defense. Not so, you know, I, I have to add an editorial comment here. I can't, I can't stop myself. Right, I, I read, I read some some lunacy on the internet and in some newspapers that they mismanaged, the Browns mismanaged the clock on their last two drives, that they should have gone, once Mahomes left the game, they should have gone up-tempo. What are you talking about? They're not capable of going up-tempo. Yeah, yeah. That's not <laughs> what they do. It's not the game plan. <laughs> Lord, help us. It's yeah. not a video game. <laughs> no. If you're going to have an opinion, at least understand the game. Yeah. yeah. You, you, exactly. you, can't, you can't install a new offense. <laughs> right. In the fourth, <laughs> oh, Patrick's out of the game. Good. We'll go two minutes. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, Lord, help us. I, I, the level of non-sophistication boggles yeah. my mind. I mean, when you when you think about it again, what a, a, a to me a brilliant offensive design for what a specific quarterback can do. I mean, look at last year, look at this year. He's definitely improved, but you know, they did it exactly the way they're playing into his strengths. I mean, you can't. How do you change that with a guy? You know, <laughs> you know, it's up and down, but for this system. That's correct, and the running game. Yep. Is their bread and butter. Everything yeah. they do comes off a powerful running game. Right. And if you're going to, you know, you're going to go up tempo. First of all, you have offensive linemen who probably never practiced up, up tempo to believe to begin with because of the, uh, the COVID issues. And, and secondly, uh, you know, when you're running the football, you can't, you can't ask those guys to get up off the pile and come right back and run again. It doesn't work that way. It's yeah. just a, a, a just a staggering uh, inability to understand what the game's about and how it's played. It, it's really it was it, it's a video game and and fantasy football at its best. Yeah. Uh, or worst, I guess. Right. <laughs> However you look at it. 
hey, Bill, to that point, do you think, because I had a huge debate around this, I'd love to know what you thought. So given their inability to move the ball quickly and given that they can't go up tempo, would you have been tempted at 22-17 with five minutes left when they got, you know, they got the six-yard play on third down, they're facing fourth and nine, they're going to kick it back to the Chiefs. Would you have been tempted to go for it on fourth and nine there, hoping at worst case you hold them to a field goal and then, you know, you're still, oh, it's still a one-possession game? Yes. I, I would have been tempted to go if I had a if I had a play. Now, fourth and nine is really hard, though. Had it been fourth and five, fourth and six, I think you go. Fourth and nine is hard, you know, because it's 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 really difficult, particularly with a team that's that's not a great down the field team. So that that's hard. It's hard to do. I mean, I couldn't argue mm-hmm. with the call, but it, it, as I was sitting there, I'm saying the very same thing to myself. I'm yeah. if you go here. And it sort of played out like played out like. So, Bill, the other thing the internet was obviously blowing up over was the the fumble into the end zone, back out, and people not questioning the call because it was clearly right, but questioning the rule and you know of, of asking, wait a second, one team has the ball that it gets a, it's a fumble if it goes out of bounds and nobody recovers it, it's it, you know team keeps the ball just because it goes out of the back of the end zone, it goes from me in possession on the one inch line or the one foot line to losing the ball on a touchback. Uh, could you explain sort of the idea behind that that rule or the history of that and because it is it is an odd thing when you when you compare it to you know something very similar one inch short of the goal line well here's the thing because you asked the question i'll I'll answer it politely you fumbled the ball why should you get benefit (laughs) is that polite enough uh that was polite very polite so you could be even less polite (laughs) but but if you fumble the ball and it goes out of bounds anyplace else what is this football welfare you committed error (laughs) So you get a benefit from it? Well, so I think the question is, all right, let me try and let me try and defend what sounds to be the indefensible. Uh, I think the question is, why is it a different rule for the end lines than the sidelines? So because it is. The end line is the end zone. All right. Well, it's then, the scoring okay. zone. Okay. Okay. For the people who wrote those questions, that, I tried. I, I think I think you're that, right. That's it's always a very, been that way. Yeah. You know. It, I, first of all, it's always been that way. But let, let, let me back right. up I and can't, explain. I can't. The ball may be recovered for a touchdown right, or a touchback. If it goes through the end zone, you, the fumbling team, should not get any benefit from it. But the, re- the fact that it's in a scoring area is the reason when it goes out of bounds that you don't, you don't get the benefit of it. It's a touchback, period. You pay the penalty for having fumbled the ball. As Coach Levy once said, don't fumble the ball. <laughs> that's, that's always a, that's a good policy. <laughs> <laughs> I too, I you know, I, I, my blood pressure should not go up at my age, but it it went up when I read some of those uh, bleeding heart. Oh, this is terrible. I understand. I fumble but, the ball but, out of the end zone. I think the better internet argument for that one was, you know, it was a helmet to helmet hit. Sorensen led with the crown of his helmet. That to me is a more plausible uh, argument than, "Hey, let's change the rule. The fumbling team should get the ball on the one yard line." I don't think it was helmet to helmet. He led with his head, but I think it hit the shoulder pads. 
No, it was helmet to helmet. No, uh, no, it was helmet to helmet. His helmet crushed. Yeah. I was watching that. Uh, the league said the league said no because they wanted to extricate themselves from a dicey situation. It would take us more time than we have for me to explain why that is a bad rule for a good reason. I mean, it's it's it it's laudable, but it's written poorly and it can't be yeah. officiated. Yeah, but there, there was some, that yeah. was in fact the penalty. I mean, there were other plays like that um, where people were called for helmet to helmet when the running back, his head was two inches from the ground. You know, he's plowing over the guys in front of him. And, you know, and I've been a player guy my whole life and fought for player safety, but I don't know what the defensive player is supposed to do when you're, his head's body following his head and his head's low and you're trying to tackle the guy. I, I, you're describing one of the arguments uh, for the rule, you know, for the, that the rule is poorly written and, and yeah. really can't be officiated. Also, the rule is use of the helmet to make contact with an opponent. It's not helmet to helmet. It's use of the helmet to right. make contact with an opponent. Right. Use of the crown of the helmet to make contact with opponent. People have reduced it to helmet to helmet, which is incorrect. It's not. Helmet to hum- helmet uh, applies only uh, in in, a, in certain defenseless players' situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, again, it's a, it's a that's a law. I had that very discussion with a colleague this morning, it, it, and it requires a lot of time and 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 a lot of um, explanation. But and without video, it's really hard to describe. Uh, verbally, but suffice it to say that the rule is 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 poorly written, and it's inconsistently enforced, as you say, because it's very dis- difficult to enforce on the field, and it it, it you would never allow it to be uh, enforced by replay, never. Otherwise, you'd have uh, five-hour games, and you'd still get it wrong. So. Uh, the the fact of the matter is that uh, the short answer is this: if we had taken butt ram and spear, which is the title of a rule in the book, which says you may not butt ram or spear an opponent with your helmet, uh, and 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 simply made a point of emphasis and describe the point of emphasis, which is what the competition committee does. This rule, by the way, was not written by the competition committee. The, the, uh, if we had done that, things would be a lot better, but you still would not, you you'd still would not want it um, officiated by replay. Bill, that's opening it, a can of worms that you don't want to go near. And how does that work, Bill, uh, inside the league when you have something that certainly is something within the purview of the competition committee, but it's also within the purview of the safety committee. How how do they divvy up ownership or somehow uh, you know try to satisfy the purposes of both sides? Well, there's a guy called the commissioner who says, "I want this rule." And so <laughs> and that's it. And that's and that's that's, that's it. it. And Rogers. Uh, okay. Yeah, if he can get twenty. 24 votes for it. He's got his rule, and, and that's what occurred. Um, but it, but I, the, the people that originally 
it, had they left it to the competition committee, I think the use of butt rim and spear with a point of emphasis would have would have done exactly what they wanted. But the safety pe- people were so gung ho to do the right thing and get the helmet out of the game, they went ahead and and and, and moved too quickly, and ended up with a with a rule that is really not coachable and very inconsistently uh, officiated simply because it's really hard to officiate consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, uh, not to mention it's hard, it's hard to play. I mean, it's hard to play, right? I mean, making yeah. the call, but yeah. I, well, that's what I mean. He can't coach yeah. it. You can't coach yeah. it can't because coach in that it. particular case, what is Sorensen supposed to do? Right. He's supposed to dive over the top and, it's, and allow a touchdown. Of course not. He's supposed exactly. to run chest up at Higgins and hope that he can steer yeah, his yeah. body to the yeah, sideline. It's true, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that is the only you know. It's so. And, and he, I, I believe he did not. Rick, you, what, what you are what you are seeing when you look at the play is Sorensen's sincere attempt not to use his helmet. Yeah. I mean, he he's trying to get it. He's trying to get to his shoulder. He's trying to knock the ball out that way, but he does make contact. He does make contact with the with the crown of the helmet, and and that should be a penalty. Now, why the league said it wasn't, uh, I don't, you know, I didn't bother listening for the explanation. They're pretty they amped up in Cleveland. I don't think the league wanted unrest in, in Cleveland. Yeah, I was probably right. Uh, probably right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's one of those ones where uh, if you're at a club, you, you, you might get a call next week saying, you know, we looked at the play and we're actually having second thoughts. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah, exactly. it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I'll touch back on the other. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've told the story, but it's worth repeating. Um, we had a terribly officiated playoff game in 2003. And, uh, and so there are no protests in the National Football League. There's no recourse. It's over and done with, and that's it. And uh, but we did send a letter and 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 ask politely for a review. And uh, so uh, that was in January. In March, uh, I was headed to a meeting at the annual meeting and walking with a senior official from the league office. And he said, oh, by the way, uh, we did the review. I said, yeah, what'd you find? He said, uh, you were, uh, I'm trying to think of the appropriate word. Huh. Huh. You, you, got the, you got the short end of the stick. That's not what yeah. he said. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the import of it. Yes. <laughs> there, there, were, there were other substances involved, yes. So I'm laughing now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, not then, not then, no, certainly not, and never with the referee. But that's another story. Uh, in any event, uh, let's go to the most interesting game uh, of the weekend. I thought because this was a phenomenal coaching job by Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, the Bills defense, and Brian Dayball in the Bills offense versus the Ravens. First and foremost, uh, I may have said on our show, but I know I said on one of the Bills pregame shows on Friday, if the Bills can hold 
the uh, Ravens to anywhere between 3.8 and 4.3 yards per rush and keep Jackson under four, they got a heck of a chance to win this game. If they can't, there's every likelihood that they won't. So Edwards ran 10 for 42, 4.2. Dobbins ran 10 for 42, 4.2. And Jackson ran 9 for 34, 3.7. Absolutely phenomenal coaching job. By a defense that we talked about last week is not constructed to, to play that way. Mm-hmm. But they did magnificent substituting Trent Murphy in there in run situations, substituting uh, Jerry Hughes in passing situations. With one exception, incredible gap discipline uh, by the uh, uh, by the by the Bills front. Terrific blitzing where they sent five and covered everybody and created a wall and made Lamar just you know, run inside the wall and not escape. Yeah. Uh, I said, you know, with just one exception, again, a third and nine, they stunted. I don't know why. Uh, the, 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 I screamed so loudly watching the television set that, that my wife thought that something terrible had happened. <laughs> just <laughs> so annoyed. Why are you stunting? <laughs> and my phone blew up with friends texting yeah. me, why are they stunting? Right. Uh, uh, so uh, there was just that one mistake, and he got out for, for a decent run. Uh, they used Edmonds to, to the middle linebacker to spy, which was a great, great tactic. And the rush discipline was magnificent. Yeah. But the key to the whole thing which I had not really focused on, upon, and I'll give who, I can't, I think it was Al Michaels and Collingsworth were the broadcasters. I'm not certain of that, but I, I think so. Yeah. Whoever it was, I think Al said that, you know, people around the league called the zone coverage that they use Buffalo quarters. And that's exactly correct. They used a form of Porter's coverage, which is a zone defense, which basically is a run defense, which allows your corners to support the run. But once pass shows, everybody covers a quarter of the field, or if the ball goes beyond a certain point in the tackle box, the, the, the one corner covers the near quarter, the safety covers the back quarter, and 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 then the other two guys play half the field. Um, the reason it's so great and so inventive is because you cannot play man and turn your back on Lamar. That's the that's the dilemma that you face. It's not the front. You know, if the front's disciplined and you know how to create the rush, you can handle that. It's the back end because if you play man and turn your back and he gets even the slightest crease, he's gone for 50 or 60 or 70. The Bills went to Buffalo quarters. 
and they uh, did a great job of keeping everything in front of them and giving Lamar a confusing look. Ergo, the interception, which changed the game. Mm-hmm. It's in the red zone. Uh, he's going to zero in on the tight end, who's his favorite guy. Uh, the corner that had that area read his eyes all the way, broke on the ball, picked it off, took it in for a touchdown, and the world changed in Buffalo. Exactly. So uh, great coaching job, again, by Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, the entire defensive staff. And then Brian Daybold on offense um, did a terrific job. He eschewed the run. I think they had four runs when it was all said and done. Um, and said, I'm going, as we said on the show last week, we're going, we're going to open it up. We're going three mm-hmm. wides. Uh, we're going to make you cover 53 and a third yards. We're going to make the big guys rush on every play. Uh, and, and we're not going to run into a stone wall and let you be congested and, and use all your big strength and power to knock us backwards. And they, the, the, the Bills offensive line did a phenomenal job of pass protection. They really did. They were, they were excellent. They were yeah. really excellent. Yep. Now, that said, Baltimore's defense is really good. I mean, the Bills were four for 13 on third down. That's 30.7. Baltimore was seven for 17. That's 41%. Um, the Bills' yards per pass uh, 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 attempt was 4.8. Mm. Their yards per play was 4.0 because they didn't run the ball worth a darn. Um, the yards per pass attempt for the uh, Ravens was 4.6, so they got no big plays, uh, and uh, their their average per play uh, was 4.7. So they ran the ball a little bit better, but uh, not enough to make a difference. Their average uh, Yards per rush was 4.7, and the Bills were 2.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Baltimore had eight penalties for 59 yards. And we said on last week's show, if the game is tightly officiated or correctly officiated downfield, then that will be to the Bills' advantage. If not, it's to the Baltimore advantage. And they did correctly officiate it downfield. And then Baltimore had some pre-snap penalties that were just their own fault, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the giveaway takeaway um, for the Bills was plus one. And then the kicking game, as we said on the show last week, was predictably predictably awful for both teams yeah. because it's Orchard Park, New York, at night in January with uh, lake effect wind uh, anywhere from 25 to 55 miles an hour blowing off Lake Erie. Hello and welcome to Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean – he hasn't missed two kicks in a row, I don't think, in his career in Baltimore. I mean, that was just, you know, it, it, I mean, it looked like a golf game, you know, where the guy was pitching up to the green, to the right side of the green, and it blew left, and he tried going left, and it went right. But, uh, Bill, you know, the, some of the things you've been uh, illuminating us about over the, the course of not just this playoff, but, you know, look at that. The, there, when you said plus, there was only one, <laughs> there was only one, Plus minus. There's only one takeaway in the game, and that was the game. And as you that said, was the, the, game. the yep. Buffalo quarters kept them looking 
looking upfield, uh, you know, and it was, and it was, you know, that was it. Uh, the other thing is, I, I just was going to mention to people so they they see this when in other games, when uh, when Lamar got his concussion. Um, obviously, there there are helmet to helmet hits and and so on. We've been talking about, but one there and still knows one very common way for players to be concussed is when they're knocked down on turf or frozen ground and the back of their head hits the field because forget the helmet physiologically the back of your head is, is your brain is by far the most exposed it doesn't have the bony prominences to to protect it so when his, when you see somebody's head go down and bounce off the turf like that it is very likely they're going to get um a serious concussion and you know we have we haven't really figured out a way even with the new helmets or anything like that to really protect that sufficiently have we bill no not really and and you know it, it it's cold it's uh, the turf is hard so it becomes an issue but the thing that that struck me uh you know with patrick going out of the game on sunday and uh and lamar on saturday night um uh, running quarterbacks get hurt I mean they just do it's a fact um, and, and we've now gotten to the point where we're inured to it um, in the NFL clubs say well okay that's all right we'll you know we'll take a chance we'll have a backup that fits the offense which Baltimore does Huntley came in and, and did a nice job by that time the Bills I think had were, were in their celebratory mode but the, the fact of the matter is um, they have a backup that can do some of the things that Lamar can do. Um, but um, if, you, if you studied the media on Monday morning, a lot of the talk was, you know, what do the Ravens do to improve the passing game? Well, first and foremost, get Lamar not to stare down his number one receiver because that's what he did on the interception. Mm-hmm. He stared at him right from the get-go. And that drove uh, the, the corner, right, the nickel corner, right to the ball. And secondly, it's his favorite receiver. That's his go-to guy. That's who he goes to. So you have a tendency, uh, which we talked about in last week's show, where you know you prepare accordingly in the red zone. The tight end's his number one guy. Uh, Keep an eye out for him, and he stares down receivers, follow his eyes, and that'll take you to the football. And when you're playing zone defense, you have the capability to do that as opposed to man. So great coaching job, again, by the Bills. Mm -hmm. Not a bad coaching job by by Baltimore. I mean, they did a terrific job. They bought the Bills' offense up pretty well. Uh, But but the fact of the matter is that uh, the game was – decided by a turnover and and you could presume that the kicking game was going to be an adventure once the wind was up and uh, and so was this the shot so were the shotgun snaps and that's another issue that you deal with in buffalo and if you're not familiar with it and obviously the ravens are not they don't, they played there once last year but as i recall the weather was pretty good um if you've not played in the wind there, it affects shotgun snaps. So you have to be, you have to be prepared for that. And, uh, and, and they were not. 
clearly. In fact, the injury and to uh, to uh, Lamar came on a on an errant uh, shotgun snap that he mm-hmm. he tried to recover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Bill. This is stupid fan questions, but is it worse wind wise to have less fans in the stadium? Uh, no. No, because I don't, I, 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 you know, I, I, yeah, well, I, I take that back. I've been in the stadium once when there were maybe 5,000 fans. That was the last strike game in, of 87 uh, in the Donlin Football League. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the DFL. It was, yeah, the DFL. That's right. Yeah. Ironically enough, it was supposed to be. 80,000 fans because that was the Giants we were playing who had run won the Super Bowl the year before. And uh, we'd sold a lot of tickets to Giant fans from the Albany, uh, you know, mid-state capital region who wanted, who obviously don't get much of a chance to see the Giants in person. The game was a sellout in June. And then when we played it in October or early November, it was early November, uh, there wasn't you know, there was a corporal's guard in the stadium. Maybe yeah. if it was 5,000, it was a lot. But the wind, it was a day game, and the wind was not a factor, even though both kickers missed two ship shots each. <laughs> but that was <laughs> that was the kickers, yeah. Yeah, that was the DFL for you. Yeah. Uh, but, but we had played a game, which I, which I spoke about on an earlier show, against the Arizona Cardinals in, in then uh, Rich Stadium, uh, on the, uh, it was an afternoon game, but it was the very same weather conditions, where the front is coming across Lake Erie, uh, making landfall less than a mile from the stadium, and then whipping right across the stadium from the from the uh, tunnel end zone toward uh, downtown Buffalo or toward toward uh, uh, the other side of Lake Erie, and uh, and. Uh, the in the about in the second quarter, the um, Cardinals were backed up to the closed end of the stadium, not the tunnel end, and they snapped uh, the ball back to the punter, and it was a little bit of a wobbly snap, and he tried to kick the ball, and it went off his foot and back over his head. Yeah, <laughs> into the, into his own end zone, and re- Steve Tasker recovered it for a touchdown, and we went on to win the game quite handily. So, and then um, famously, Tony Dungy reminded me <laughs> a couple of months ago of a play uh, when he was with the Steelers. It was Marv Levy's first game, actually, as the Bills coach. Same situation in the tunnel, and the wind blowing, you know, forty miles an hour, and uh, and uh, they, they, I believe either the, the the Steelers were kicking a field goal to win. I think it was a field goal to win or an extra point. It was it's immaterial. And the ball never got put down. The wind blew it away. We re, we recovered it and won the game. <laughs> they couldn't even get the ball snapped back to the holder. <laughs> and Tony was incredulous. <laughs> he, as he was telling the story, he said, "Can you imagine that?" It's so windy you can't even snap the ball. I said, "Yeah, of course I can." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so that's exactly what happened the other night, which is why seeding is so important and the home field is so important. Yeah, yeah. But no, I I don't think the crowd affects it any. Uh, yeah. But but had the Buffalo crowd been there, I guarantee you it would have affected communication for the Ravens because yeah, for sure. they are just on cloud nine. They're out of their minds. They're they're just you know it's too bad that there couldn't be a a larger crowd in the stadium. There are sixty seven hundred. Yeah. And the players said it sounded like 67,000. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you you knew the wind because it was <laughs> – when you saw those flags, <laughs> looked like they were cemented or, you know, or frozen in the air. They were blowing so hard. Yeah. Um, I don't think fans would have mattered in that case. And, uh, uh, I mean, that, that was a – you know, that uh, me was uh, – from the time I've known you, Bill, that, that was the classic game in Buffalo – of all time in terms of, you know, the field goals and the snapping and, and everything like that. It's just, nope, there's no way you could possibly, even the Buffalo kickers couldn't really learn how to kick for that. Oh, no, of course not. Uh, yeah. Poor Blankenship, uh, you know, uh, for the Colts. I mean, two weeks ago, he's played the University of Georgia and playing in Indianapolis. He has to come in there, and no wonder he's going to, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and Baltimore's guy is used to, foul weather but nothing like that exactly a former teammate of mine <laughs> texted me before the game when they showed the the uh the, the the shot of the flag stretched out straight straining to hold on yep. to the flagpole he, he said beautiful weather and then <laughs> parents but it's not snowing and sleeting what's wrong <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is our look at the divisional round. It's that time. Let's go into some championship games. Where do we want to start, Bill? Well, let's start in Kansas City because that's that's a real interesting one. This one, I think, is going to turn uh, on three things. One, weather. Kansas City weather can be awful. Uh, and, and you can get a lot of sleep in Kansas City. So that that's condition one. Number two, you're going to have two players who may or may not play. The most obvious is Patrick Mahomes because he's in, I believe he's in the concussion protocol. Um, I say, I believe because I haven't, I haven't verified that as we, as we uh, record this show. Um, Reports are that he did practice today. He did practice. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. And that's still okay. just a step within the protocol. I mean, no, no, if he practiced, if he practiced, it's he's not in the in the, the full-on protocol. Oh, okay. I thought there was one step protocol beyond that. No, well, it's, it's how he tolerates the practice. But okay. the fact that he practiced okay. is for the Chiefs an amazingly good sign. So if he tolerates it. He's uh, he's passed he's passed the problem. Uh, and then the other is Edwards Hilaire. Uh, if he can go, then that offense is at full tilt, and even a defense as good as Buffalo is going to have a hard time with them because uh, Patrick does so many amazing things, Kelsey does so many amazing things, Tyreek does so many amazing things. And Edwards Hilaire 
gets so much extra yardage because after he makes you miss. And, and the fact that he doesn't take a lot of hits is an advantage because he's fresh pretty much throughout the game. Williams, on the other hand, who's a wonderful back, is a north-south blaster, and and he takes a lot of hits. So if you had to use him as the principal back, if you got, you know, 15, 18 carries with him, he, he's worn out by the time you, you get that far into the game. So if they can limit him, let's say, to a dozen carries and Edward Solaire to 15, they're in clover. And don't forget when they played the Bills earlier this season, they ran the ball exclusively. Now, I, that game was in Orchard Park, and I don't know what the weather conditions were like. They may well have been what they were uh, the other night, but uh, they ran the ball a lot. And so, uh, you know, they can do that with Edwards Hilaire in the game. They can do it. Patrick in the game, he presents so many problems with the passing game, particularly with extension. He makes a very average set of offensive tackles really look good. Um, broadcasters don't pick up on it, but the fact of the matter is you saw that on Sunday. They were having a really hard time even protecting Pat, Patrick, particularly the left tackle. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, his extension and his ability to make big plays down the field uh, really causes problems. So if he's anywhere near normal, um, that's a big advantage for the Chiefs. And if Edwards Hilaire is in there, that's a huge advantage for the Chiefs because then they have three people on the field, Kelsey, uh, Tyreek, and Edwards Hilaire, who can, with the ball in their hands, pick up huge chunk yardage. So Patrick doesn't even have to challenge those two safeties. You know, Buffalo's two safeties are really good, Micah Hyde and, and company. Um, but he doesn't have to challenge them. All he has to do is dump the ball down and let let the guys run after the catch. And uh, and and pretty soon he's going to suck them up and and hit a big one behind them because those guys running free with the football, Tyreek's in a class by himself. But Kelsey's really good running after the catch, and, and so is Edward Hilaire. So um, that's a powerful, powerful team. Yeah, and you're probably about to get there, but if if that is clicking, uh, given the bill, given the Bills' reliance on the passing offense, could could they put up enough points with that offense to stay with Kansas City? Well, for one thing. I think Brian Dable is going to want to run the ball more than he ran it against uh, both Ravens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it'd be hard to run it less than they ran it in the first half. Yeah, that's half. true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, because the, the Kansas City front is 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 less formidable than is Baltimore. Um, so. You know, I, I, I think you're in a situation where he, he may feel he, he can run a little bit more and take a little bit of pressure off Josh and put a little more pressure on the, uh, on the Chiefs' defense. The problem, which is what the Rams did, by the way, 
and, and, and did a great job of it. They did a terrific job of it. But the, 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 what, what the, the trouble is that they, they, don't, they only have Singletary. Um, so, you know, you don't want to wear him out. And, uh, and he, you know, although it, literally there is no tomorrow unless you win. So uh, use him as much as you can. But as you know, the 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 Browns with two really good backs uh, made a lot of money running the football against the Chiefs. So I think you look for the Bills to do much more of that. And as you say, they could hardly do less. Um, and, and then uh, the secondary of the Chiefs is going to be challenged by Diggs. Uh, they're going to they're going to they're going to really be um, uh, have their hands full uh, with Brown and Beasley. Um, McKenzie is is pretty good backup. So I think they can throw the ball and I think they can protect. Uh, I'm not sure the Chiefs have any other than Chris uh, Jones inside. I'm not sure the Chiefs have any overwhelming rushers um I, i'm not sure that that you know they have anybody that that's unblockable so i would think that um it's possible you you could you could get a shootout but man i'm not sure i want to be in a shootout with the chiefs <laughs> uh you know clark is Clark is, is, is Jones is the whole key. If Jones can can handle the run in the middle, and he can rush the passer inside, then Passignon and and Clark will get enough make enough plays. If you flush um, the quarterback to to really help your pass defense. If if he if he can't if Jones can't disrupt inside, which of course he did at the end of the game uh, last week, then it's a little easier, uh, and, and it will be interesting to see what the Chiefs do with Tyron Matthew. Do they help out on digs? Uh, do they let him freelance? That's going to be interesting. I'm going to be interesting to see what kind of uh, of coverage uh, the the the, uh, the Chiefs use. Now, Spags is is a believer in the blitz, especially on third down. He'll come after you, and and that'll be interesting to see if a the Bills can pick it up with Singletary, who's a little on the small side. And although they're very willing, but nonetheless on the small side, and uh, and, and if they can hit big plays downfield to Diggs, this is a this is a true championship game in the sense that you want to look at matchups, you want to look at X's and O's, and then somewhere along the line there's going to be some game changing plays like there were in the Baltimore uh, Bills game. So I'm. Um, I'm excited to see this. This is this is going to be a good football game. 
Hey, Bill, how much of an X factor do you think will be, you know, it's a championship game, it's an empty the gun, Josh Allen's going to run a lot on Sunday? Oh, I think so. I think so. But uh, by, by the same token, the Chiefs are going are gonna to do their level best not to let him out. They're going to have a spy on him. Uh, there'll be a guy that is assigned to him. They'll they'll do a couple of things I think to uh, to keep him uh, from from getting out and making big runs. I mean they have to treat him. Although the offensive construct is different, they have to treat him exactly as they would Lamar Jackson. And then it may come down to the kicking game too. And uh, and Harrison Butker is. Uh, is, is not having his best year. That's for sure. It's a, it's a pretty good kicking stat you gave us last week with his uh, misses on extra points, which definitely reared their head in the game on Sunday. It did. It yeah. reared its ugly head. There it yep. was. Well, that's why you well, have scouting reports. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, Vegas would tend like, to agree. Interestingly enough, right. this game is Buffalo is only a three and a, a three point dog. The Tampa Bay is a bigger dog than Buffalo. Well, that the reason is because they know they'll get a lot of Buffalo money at at three. I mean, that's a business decision. Yeah, yeah. But it is funny how he misses those mid-range. It's kind of like a guy who can't hit a mid-range jumper, even if he can hit from three, because <laughs> yeah. longer he's he good on. I mean, uh, God. okay. Let's turn our attention uh, to. The frozen tundra mm. of Green Bay. Which, the old Norris division. The yep. old Norris division. The black and blue and division. And blue division, exactly. Yep. Yeah. The Battle um, of the Bay. <laughs> okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. You can like, You're going to yeah. miss Boomer. Uh, the, immediately, <laughs> when you knew this was a championship game, it just made you yearn <laughs> for Boomer on ESPN. <laughs> Not on some OTT channel. Actual ESPN. Really, yeah. Boomer famously, when both teams were awful, uh, which was a while ago, well, Tampa Bay was awful for a long time, but there was a point, a point before Ron Wolf got there when the Packers were awful. He once referred to it as the toilet bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but it's anything but now. Yep. Uh, so. Bucks, uh, phenomenal job running the football. And if there is a uh, what I think is an overmatch, and I could be wrong, I, I think those two running backs, uh, Rojo and 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 uh, Fournette, and that pretty good blocking offensive line against a Packers front that you said earlier is a little better at stopping the run, but not great. They're going to get challenged right out of the box. And let's, we'll find out. We'll find out. And if they can stop the run, then I think the pack have a leg up. If they can, it'll be a long afternoon at Lambeau because this team can run the ball and they run it with power. Rojo gets up there. He creates splash plays because of uh, because of his acceleration, and Fournette's uh, got his chin strap buckled and coming to work, and uh, he's he's ready to go, knock him around, 
And that's what they've been doing over the last four weeks. And it's what they did to uh, New Orleans, which is a much better front than, than what the Packers feature against the run. What the Bucks don't want is a lot of third and sixes, a lot of third and sevens, a lot of third and nines. You, you can't have that because if these guys can, can pin their ears back, even in their forefront, even in their forefront, uh, with Kenny Clark, uh, with Zedarius Smith, uh, you know, they, Preston Smith, they, they, they cause you a lot of problems. And, and then they like the blitz on top of that. So um, I think that the key to the Bucks is uh, running the football and running it well. If they can do that, Mm-hmm. Then, then they got a chance to to do some damage in the passing game. I think the secondary of of the of the uh, pack and their and their um, ability to create pressure both with the forefront and and with blitzing, which Petten likes to do, um, is, is really good. And and you know, it'll be interesting to see where Jair Alexander goes. Does he stay on the right or does he travel with somebody? That'll be interesting. Watch that right out of the box. Mm-hmm. And uh, Darnell Savage is a, is a ball hawk. Uh, and he, he, he can make a lot of plays. And this is a, this is a good back seven. Christian Kirksey's there to, to get everybody lined up. But, uh, uh, you know, you know, Zadarius Smith and uh, Rashawn Gary. I mean, it, this is a, this is a good group. They've got depth there. Um, they can change up the rush, rest their guys. Uh, they can. They, they've got a wave rush that they can use in two minutes. So, uh, if this is a, if this is a passing game, that favors the pack, I think. Um, now, with respect to the pack offense, we know they've got Devontae Adams. Now, Lazard. And Valdez Scantling showed up last week, and they're going to have to show up big time, I think, this week, because I can't see um, Tampa Bay just leaving their young corners on Devontae Adams one on one. That's suicide. So, no matter what the situation is, they're going to have to help on Devontae Adams, which means that Funchess and Lazard are going to have to make some plays. I'm sorry, Valdez uh, 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 Scandling mm-hmm. and Lazard are going to have to make some plays. I thought that the the um, the pack offensive line did a really good job. Billy Turner did a nice job at left tackle. Uh, this uh, Corey Lindsley is a really good player. Elton Jenkins is a good player. They're playing at a at a really high level. And they too can run the ball. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they come out there and punch Tampa right in the nose. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, they got three running backs, all of whom can tote the mail. Aaron Jones is really special. Williams is darn good. And A.J. Dillon, as we said last week, is the mother. So if the field's not in good shape, hello, A.J., come on in there and pound. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they come right out as they did last week and punch the 
punch the bucks right in the mouth. Now, is Vita Vea going to be back to play nose tackle? Bruce Aarons last week on his radio show with us on Sirius Radio indicated maybe not. Maybe it's going to take a little more time, perhaps Super Bowl if they if they make it. Um, but we'll see. Um, now, the thing that the, the Bucks defense does is they've got playmakers up front, Sue against the run, Vea against the run if he plays. Uh, JPT, when he picks his spots, he picks his rushes. He can't do it all the time anymore, but he picks his spots and he's dangerous. Um, two really good inside linebackers, Devin White and Levante David, and they stay on the field. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're out there for three downs. And then in the secondary, Antoine Winfield is a star in the making. He's a, he's a ball hawk. He's a, he's a guy that causes fumbles. His instincts are phenomenal. He's around the ball, uh, so that that's that's really a you know it, it's a it's a hard go. So, do you expect them to go uh, zone or man to man or you know mix they're going to mix it up? They're a they're a principally you know they love to blitz. They love to blitz, and and they do you know a lot of man when when they do blitz. Right. But they yeah. they played some zone too. I mean, they, they they can they'll mix it up. You can't give you, you you can't give Aaron one look. I mean, if you do, you're yeah. you're committing suicide. So uh, this is going to be an interesting game again from an X's and O's standpoint, a strategy standpoint. Do both teams come out there and try to run right off the bat? I certainly, if I were Tamper, I would I would say, come on, prove that you can stop the run, Packers. Um, and, you know, again, the pack needs to get some production from other than the tight end and Devante. So it's got to be Valdez, Scantling, or Lazard who uh, who gets production. And uh, so it's going to be exciting and interesting. And the weather, of course, will be a factor. Mm-hmm. Rick, why don't you kick us into the audible? Okay. Well, You've heard it from the source. Uh, we're going to have some great games this weekend. Hope everybody enjoys them and that Bill has uh, given you some enlightenment that will help you do so. So, Scott, that means it's time to end this show with another Audible. What do you got? <clears throat> All right. So this is a fun one. So we got this from a lot of people this week. And there's this little subcurrent of weird uh, kind of, for some of us uh, nerdier fans, related to offsides. So, Bill, on a lot of kickoffs and even on some snaps, I think about sort of in the Baltimore game with McCarry, the center's head appears to be north of where the ball is. And on kickoffs, and a lot of times, the kicker's plant foot extends beyond where the ball is placed and then in theory would be beyond the line of scrimmage. Why is this not a penalty for offsides? Well, let's take the kickoff first and foremost. The, the kicker is allowed uh, to get his plant foot beyond the restraining line simply because it's a, a means to get the ball kicked off. And he's really no threat to do anything and get down the field and, you know, cause a fumble or anything like that. So they, hey, they let Crosby that go. Big boy hit this weekend. He did. He did. But but that it comes later in the play, so uh, <laughs> no, I know. he's most he, he's mostly a safety <laughs> man. So 
that that um, six inches didn't make the difference. <laughs> no, it right. does not. Uh, relative to um, everybody else on the kicking team, uh, it used to be that they weren't offside unless their lead leg hit beyond the restraining line. So you could have your lead leg in the air over the restraining line and your body over the restraining line. And if the lead foot didn't hit until after the ball was kicked, you were okay. Uh, we changed that about oh, 10 years ago, tightened it up. Uh, and the officials were just doing it. Uh, we didn't even know it was happening until we saw a lot of violations and said at the competition committee, what the heck's going on here? Oh, yeah, well, we give them a little leeway here. We don't want to throw a lot of flags. Okay, good, right. Uh, take your flags out, please. <laughs> so, <laughs> believe it or not, that's what happens. You know, if you if you give them leeway, they take it. Uh, and, of Funny. course, the coaches pick up on it right away. Oh, yeah. The more they can get away with, right? Uh, with respect to the center, his head can be uh, north of the ball now. Most of them try not to do that because the they want the maximum amount of of space that the ball can create between themselves and the defensive player. So uh, I think our fans looking at it may say, mm, maybe that's an optical illusion looking down the line because they really don't want that. They want the ball to be right right with their eye level, the nose of the ball, right right at kind of eye level. Now, there are some guys that really extend it, but most want to, particularly shotgun snappers, want to keep it right at a, a little beyond eye level. Um, the problem with, with offside is, is, is that the line gets bowed, and, the, and, and so every offensive lineman has to have his helmet inside the bottom of the center's numbers. But they do cheat. They take as much advantage as they can. And so you will often time find the offensive tackle, the left tackle, let's say, with his head well beyond the, the bottom of the, of the center's number. He'll have it well beyond sometimes the, the belt buckle. And the the defensive end who's lining up on that guy will line up inadvertently in the neutral zone. And it'll get called from time to time. And when it does get called, you'll often see the defensive line coach go nuts. So what the <laughs> officials are supposed to do is to say, um, hey, 78, you move up, and 51, you move back. Otherwise, we're going to throw the flag. That's what they're supposed to do. And famously in the Kansas City, New England uh, uh, championship game three years ago, uh, New England threw an interception that Sorensen was returning to end the game. The game was over at that point. Kansas City was going to the Super Bowl and a flag came out for, um, he's now with San Francisco. I can't think of the guy's name right now, uh, outside linebacker. He was lined up in the neutral zone. Uh, that, that's an atrocious call in that situation because the, the officials should have just run in and said, hey, back up, back up. You know, uh, don't, don't allow them to create a penalty, for God's sake. But they didn't. And naturally, 
give Tom Brady a gift and he'll take it. He took it right to the bank and they won in overtime. So uh, the do the offensive linemen cheat the alignment? They absolutely do, but oftentimes it's not the center, it's the guard and tackle, and most likely the tackle. And, and Bill, are they looking for a, a different edge one way or the other on, on what's going to be a running play versus a passing play, the way they want to line up? Sometimes, but that's too big of a tell. Uh, you know, basically, they want to keep as much distance between themselves and the rusher as they can. The quicker the rusher can get his hands on the blocker, the better chance he has of disrupting the play. So they want to create as much space as they can between themselves and the rusher. The tells that you get on, on running plays typically will be the amount of pressure that yep. the offensive lineman has on his hands. Yeah. Well, there you have it, guys. I think I think the player we were looking for was D Ford. D Ford, that's the man. You're right. See, there By you the go. way, going to kill me. One so final, keep me up all night. One yeah. final thing. Most fans think that what they learned as high school and college players is true. That you go on the, the defensive lineman go on the snap of the ball. They do not in the National Football League. They go on the first movement of the lineman in front of them. So oftentimes you will see them if the tackle twitches or the guard twitches or the center twitches, you'll see them go boom right away. And, uh, and uh, uh, often uh, the, the officials will pick that up. They'll, they'll pick up the, uh, uh, the uh, illegal move motion before the snap. And, uh, and they're they're trying to bait the offensive lineman into any little twitch or flinch. And conversely, there are really savvy offensive linemen who have perfected really pretty good twitches that the officials can't uh, <laughs> yeah. can't pick right. up. And, and I won't and, mention and, any and, names. Right. And, and then when that kind of stuff happens, that's where you get both guys pointing at each other. Yeah. <laughs> There's him. That's right. It was him. It was him. Yeah, yeah. But, but most people, you know, you, occasionally you'll hear a broadcast to say, well, you should go on the ball. No, they don't go on the ball. They go right. on the movement yeah. of the man in front of them. Yeah. yeah. So let that be a lesson, kids. Go on the movement of the man in front of you. Don't no, no, no. Play. At lower levels, don't do it. No. <laughs> don't do it. Listen I'm to your coaches. Go on the movement of the yeah. ball. <laughs> Scott was You're actually offering that. To do that. <laughs> Scott was actually offering that as as Bill. He's offering that as life advice. Always go. Yeah, that was right. People are thinking. <laughs> Always serious. listen to your don't, coach. Don't do it. Right. Always that's listen right. to your at coach. every level. It's it's a good trait. It's like when when Sunday and says, "Can I move? Can I move?" <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty good. All right, like gang. Well, that is our show. Look at the look at the <laughs> official and ask him if you're on side. There you go. That's good life advice. That's good life advice. All right, gang. Well, that's our show for this week. As always, if you have any questions, things you want us to cover on the show, audible ideas, audible questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Polling, and we will be sure to include it. Guys, enjoy the championship weekend. I think it's going to be a fun one. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Stay safe. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. See you guys.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.